0: Sometimes there's an abundance of fun stuff to discuss stuff. So welcome, I'll tell you what, this is Chad Adams sitting in for Pete Callender here on WBT. We do have a caller, it's a little bit after uh, two, heading into our third hour. Caller, are you there? I didn't have the uh, name there, but is he still there? Yes, I'm still Dan. here. Dan, welcome to the show, Dan. How the heck are you?
1: I'm fine. It's Stan, and uh, hey, I have a... Uh, Stan, Stan, me.
0: not Dan. I'll get the names Stan. right. Yeah. So Stan, thank you for yeah. calling.
1: Okay, I wanted to tell you something that um, that just came out in some studies that came out recently. This is Washington Post reports. Vaccinated people who never had COVID were at least three times as likely to be infected as unvaccinated people with prior infections. And they had a Lancet study, and this just came out, found that those who were vaccinated but never had COVID were four times as likely to have severe illness resulting in hospitalization or death compared to unvaccinated, who recovered from it. Now, here's the whole point. Once you start to base science on consensus, if we were to be doing that today, what would be happening is we'd still be living in Western Europe and Africa, afraid of, uh, claiming that anybody who said the world was, was round was passing disinformation. It and would be afraid to challenge the status quo. That's what happens when you allow bureauc- bureaucrats to control science.
0: I don't, I mean... Keep talking. I'm not disagreeing with you. I think this is consensus science is not final. It, it hasn't been. Know. It never is. It's, it's it's an evolving science evolves, continues to be tested. And, and science that's unafraid of being tested is true science because you'll know it stands up. You'll find this. In the in the cult of climate, uh, you know, you find it. They don't like to have debates. It's, it's settled. It's settled. There's a consensus. It's settled. Go on, move on. We want to set the global thermostat. And it was the same thing we saw exaggerated with COVID. There was no ability to push back when people were seeing things. Doctors were not allowed to discuss things. There were doctors all over the country were saying, "Hey, we don't think this is good advice for kids. We don't think this has been tested enough." In many ways, we're not really sure about this, and it doesn't. You remember, we were told it prevents it initially. Oh, if you get this, you won't get it. And then we were told it wouldn't transmit if you got the, if you got the vaccine. So I, I agree with you. I think we're going to find so many more things that just were not allowed to and be I, debated. I,
1: I think this is one thing that's made America great is because we've always been uh, uh, indoctrinated, so to speak, in America that we challenge the status quo, that we go out And when people have good ideas, they compete. And the best ideas win, and that's why America has been one of the most successful countries on the planet.
0: That is true, and and debate makes us stronger, even when it's uncomfortable. And I uh, and I take appreciate care. the always call. I always enjoy
1: it when you're on for a piece. Well,
0: thank you. Well, thank you. That's I'll take that as flattery, Stan. Thanks for the call. Okay. Take care. Mm. Uh, and, and he's right. What What makes us great is that. Yeah, we we do have uncomfortable discussions. We have uncomfortable things happen. We challenge status quo and we move forward, punch through, and and go to the next to the next level about uh, about life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. So, having said that, a little bit of information to let you know. I think Stan's still there. I'm not sure, but I think Stan's still connected. North Carolina's gasoline tax is going to go up $0.02 cents a gallon come January 1st when the state's personal income tax rate drops a bit. The franchise tax that businesses pay will be simplified as well in the new tax year. Uh, policies the General Assembly voted through over the past two years do take effect. The state income tax rate for 2022 is 4.99%. It drops to 475 in 2023. And the plan to keep enacting small cuts until the rate hits 3.99% in 2027. It's a flat tax. So everyone who owes state income taxes pays on the same rate, regardless of income. The state gas tax, now at thirty-eight point five cents per gallon, increases to forty point five come January first, due to a formula that takes population growth and inflation into account. The federal gas tax is an additional eighteen point four cents per gallon. So, just wanted you to know that was going on there. What's interesting about that is that that Phil Berger, at least. It, throughout his term, has wanted to get rid of the state income tax. Florida doesn't have a state income tax. Tennessee doesn't have a state income tax. Uh, Phil Berger wanted to move it in that direction. He, the leader of the Senate here in North Carolina. But it just hasn't been able to get the kind of traction. So it's these incremental little uh, bumps downward that go down as other taxes take hold. Now, what's going to be interesting is the I don't know how the state's going to deal with the state gas tax issue because that's the taxes that take care of roads and as more and more cars that are already taxpayer subsidized get into the market, those aren't paying those gas taxes. So that's why a lot of people want to start putting GPS trackers in your car and track how many miles you move on the road. If you ever wanted a more big brother policy, I'd challenge you to find one because that's one that is being seriously considered by many to just track the exact number of miles you drive on the road and track you accordingly. Now the trade-off in theory would be that you would pay less in gas taxes, but I don't know how that works, and I think it would be egregious and it would be an absolute mess. Um, uh, I do want to address this. I, I got invited to speak tonight on an online, uh, uh, an online discussion about the one point seven trillion dollar. Uh, omnibus spending bill it's it's a disaster and they're shoving it through because they know that they won't have the votes to get it through after uh, after the new congress takes over 1.7 trillion uh, so what a national debt of 31.4 trillion so let's go through that a little bit the new york post has a column on it that i think it it it's just shocking it just it just shows you they don't that they don't care nobody is serious or at least there's not enough people that are serious to make a difference yet. Congress concluded last week the annual shenanigans with the funding of the government. And while the body's refusal to get the omnibus done before the 59th minute of the 11th hour is grounds for criticism, it's shirking and dodging. It's only a tiny part of the problem, which is now utterly irresponsible D.C. and, and how they are with a checkbook. The $1.7 omnibus itself was loaded with laughable pieces of pork self-named monuments for various legislators, a chauffeur for the IRS commissioner, but it's just the latest in a long trend of D.C.'s free spending and ever-growing government bureaucracy. Biden and his fellow Democrats have been horrific on this issue, especially in light of the trillions they put on the nation's credit card. Indeed, Biden has presided so far over a jump in the national debt from $28 trillion to $31.43 trillion. All as the hideous American Rescue Plan, which was $1.9 trillion, the CHIPS Act, which was $280 billion, and the infrastructure bill, which was $1.2 trillion, were rammed through. All of these outlays, especially the ones financed with debt, have only fueled the worst inflation in decades. The nation's debt, of course, has been growing alarmingly, even before Biden. Under his old boss, Barack Obama, it jumped 77%, and under President Trump, it went up 28%. Remember what I said earlier in the show about when Republicans are in, it just slows down a little bit? Largely due to massive COVID-related outlays, it's surely skyrocket further. It'll do that under Biden and his drunks get their way. The last time the U.S. debt to GDP ratio was under 100% was in 2011. The deficit is also growing by leaps and bounds. It was 1.4 trillion at the end of fiscal 22, the fourth highest on record. What this means, barring a return to fiscal sanity coupled with a decent stretch of solid economic growth, is massive, massive massive tax hikes for future generations, or colossal cuts in service at the most basic level of government. Somebody has to pay for all this. Biden and the handout caucuses in Congress are more than happy to mortgage the future. With Republicans now controlling the House, at least maybe they can rein in some of the spending madness. That's a brief overview, but it's absolutely true. It's not free, and the debt on this continues to grow. I mean, the amazing U.S. debt-to-GDP ratio being over 100 percent, is, is, is staggering. But acting like it's just free is is, is absolutely maddening. Um, you know, we, we come out of it's just, it's frustrating. You, you There are people that do have common sense on this. There are people that want to make a difference on it. They just don't get enough votes because at, at a certain point, and I wish I could remember the historical context. I, I remember it may have been Alexander Titler uh, who wrote, that you know a republic can only survive until the folks realize that they can vote themselves stuff out of the public treasury. After that, it's just a slow or rapid descent into bondage once again. And I'm paraphrasing, but that's the gist of what he said. You, you move through this, all the world's great societies have gone through this, where they have freedom, they go from bondage to freedom and then back to bondage again. But they do it to themselves, because at a certain point, when when the American public's voting for itself to get things out of the bank, out of the well, not the bank, out of our printing presses, th- it just doesn't work. It just becomes an escalator down, a down escalator into the depths of of, a, of the destruction of the country. You just can't continue to borrow this kind of money. And, and whenever anyone says anything, what's the first thing Democrats a Republican ever says? Hey, we need to look at this. And specifically, we need to look at Medicaid, Medicare and Social Security. You cannot touch those or you will be ripped to shreds. These things are not balanced. These things are not sustainable. There is no way. And the more people you add to it and the fewer people you have paying into it, the worse it's going to be. And it's just horrific. It was never indexed to age. It never was. Social security should have been indexed. We should be getting social security in our 80s. But if you say that now, you're you're crazy. You're trying to take my social security away. What if you let younger generations opt out of it? You can't because it's a Ponzi scheme. Welcome back, folks. This beautiful, beautiful day. And see, I'm here all week, so every day will get more beautiful. It will be just gorgeous by the time the unfortunate reality of Carolina basketball hits. I'm kidding. I know you a lot of Tar Heel fans out there. But nonetheless, there'll be a, a UNC game this Wednesday, uh, Friday. But I will be here for the duration on this beautiful weather as we get closer to a warm and robust weekend heading into the first weekend, I guess to the last day and the first day of the next year, last day of this year, first day of next year. So appreciate you joining us. You want to get in on the conversation? Feel free to do so. 704-570-1110 here at News Talk 1110 99.3 WBT. Also want to remind folks that uh, WBT does welcome the Light the Nights Festival where you can make merry memories at Truest Field now through January 6th there's an ice skating rink snow tubing hill plus enjoy light shows live entertainment holiday treats christmas trees shopping santa and more brought to you in part by piedmont natural gas share the warmth so you want to get out and enjoy the snow tubing hill a little bit better weather well you've got all this week through the 6th of january to do so so definitely check it out and have some fun and we want you to do that as well uh I didn't know where, which direction to go here. That, that $1.7 trillion really does rattle my cage a lot. And it's weird because it doesn't do it. It's not like somebody sent you a bill. You know, I, I used to have people call my show regularly and say, you know, so what? So what? It goes to $30 trillion. So what? It goes to $60, $80, 100000000000000 I don't know when. I can't tell you when it will be a problem. but there, be, But you can't have. It just doesn't go on. There comes a point where someone in D.C. is going to have to. It's like, uh, what was that show? Musical Chairs when you were a kid. When the music stops playing and there's not a chair, you and I are going to be the ones going, what the hell just happened? What the heck just happened? I wanted, uh, you know, as we've been talking about the economy, we've been talking about government regulation, talking about, you know, the way government spends stuff. John Tamney, and I've known John for several years. He's got a great piece over at Real Clear Markets. And I don't always agree with John, but I, I think b- more often than not, he's spot on from an economic standpoint. And he's talking about the way in which we look at inflation and the way in which in- inflation uh, affects you and the, the correct discussion about inflation. And, and and he mixes in a couple of things about working through here. He said there's a quip about Whole Foods that it's actually called Whole Paycheck. <laughs> Get it? Not terribly witty, but arguably indicative of, of remarkable progress. At an age of staggering abundance, consumers can be choosy about what they buy. The proliferation of whole foods across the U.S. and indeed around the world signals a growing desire for better quality groceries and the means to pay for them. In other words, Americans very willingly pay a lot more for breads, meats and vegetables offered at high end concepts like Whole Foods. And it's not just food items. A shopper can find fancier beer, champagne, and wine at some of the stores, along with sunscreens. Babo Botanicals, check it out, sells for $16. $16 for sunscreen is very telling, but not in the way that readers might think. For the purpose of this, the question that emerges from expensive groceries and nosebleed sunscreen is whether those relatively high-cost at grocery chain where more and more Americans shop is indicative of inflation. Aren't rising prices inflation? Well, actually, no. To say they are inflation is like saying suntans cause the sun to shine. Causation is plainly reversed. At best, higher prices are a consequence of inflation, not a driver. With Whole Foods and its relatively higher prices, it's important to stress that there's no inflation to speak of. Instead, Whole Foods' great success is a sign of beautiful economic progress. With disposable income on the rise thanks to endless productivity advances born of a growing and very global division of labor, American income, and income around the world, continues to increase. As the latter increases, our preferences for high-end items increases as well. Importantly, still not inflation. A rising price, by definition, signals a falling price elsewhere. If Bobo's sunscreen costs $16 where Coppertone used to sell for a buck or two, it's evident that our preference for higher-priced sunscreen reduces the dollars we have for other goods and services. What some refer to as price level is naturally flat all on its own. Indeed, while sunscreens and other items like Gillette razors and haircuts can sometimes set us back a lot more than they did, It's worth pointing out that mobile phones are much cheaper than they used to be. The original Motorola mobile phone in 1983 that only placed very expensive phone calls set the buyer back about $4,000, actually $39.99. The first IBM mainframe computer in the 60s cost over a million. And then Andy Kessler reported years ago in the Wall Street Journal that the first computer laser printer was around $17,000. Nowadays, exponentially more capable mobile phones, computers, and printers can be had for a fraction of what they used to cost. Is the above evidence of deflation? Certainly not. Just as rising prices, by definition, signal falling prices elsewhere, so do falling prices signal rising prices elsewhere. Declining prices quite simply introduce nuance for buyers. Or in the case of Whole Foods, falling prices on other goods and services render the typical buyer more willing to pay more for higher quality and healthier groceries at Whole Foods. That's not a knock on Whole Foods. It's a sign of progress. Whole Foods would never have succeeded in 1950, but it thrives in the 2020s. Looking into the future, readers can rest assured that consumers in the future will be buying more and more food, beauty, transportation items than they usually have. Now, there's more to go there, but you know what? In the interest of time, we'll just let you know that there's an ocean of difference between rising prices and inflation. Prices soar all the time to reflect all manner of economic changes. It's up to... What you want to do, but you get to make the choice, except consequences. Now see, Bernie doesn't know this, but in my first like five months in radio, I loved that intro at 6 o'clock in the morning to kick things off. Just loved it. Money for nothing. That's just a great guitar riff. Dire Straits, Mark Knopfler, just, just great. Great stuff. Now, if you want to get in on the conversation, 704-570-1110, 570 here at News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Chad Adams sitting in for Pete Callender. Always an honor, pleasure, thrill, ride. Absolutely me, live, thriving, surviving here with you, being a part of what we're doing here. And I just love it. It's a, it's an absolute blast. And, you know, watching, uh <laughs> just uh, <laughs> I, if you ever want, there's two things that are kind of funny. One, follow Governor Roy Cooper, NC Governor, Co- whatever, Cooper, on Twitter. It's just funny. Virtue signals a lot. He he likes to say really nice things. He doesn't like to take a stand on issues unless it's something that can be, you know, really, really uh, safe. I guess it's not someone he's going to step out and, and lead on anything kind of visionary. There's nearly no vision there. It's kind of a governor that hey, I just want everybody to get along kind of way of looking at things. The other thing that was brought to my attention over the past couple of weeks with family is if you haven't heard of it, go do it. Uh, And this is weird. I don't know why, and I don't know why I'm even bringing it up on the air before we get to some fun stuff, but it's called Florida Man. So you you, you enter uh, your birthday, uh, Florida Man, and news and see what comes up. It's it's absolutely hysterical because for whatever reason there's just a bunch of wild and wacky stories that happen in in Florida. So a Florida man, uh, you know, you'll enter March 22nd if that was your birthday, and you entered Florida man, and March 22nd you say Florida man found with drugs after getting trapped in a porta potty because because Florida's laws of transparency are so transparent that everything gets gets reported. And they're just absolutely hysterical. Uh, after police chase, Florida woman crosses uh, getting arrested off bucket list, deputies say. That's a headline, May 12th, if that's your birthday. So you enter your birthday, Florida man, and news, are, uh, and and you'll come up with some just crazy stories. So they have a best of list with that. I'm not going to belabor that one, but it's funny. You can do that on your own. Now, to something more interesting, more hysterical. Well, no, I don't know if it's more hysterical or not, but it's, it's, it's the why... You know, we all have this coffee thing. A lot of people, seventy-seven some odd percent of folks, drink coffee as a part of their day to day. Many people drink much more than that. So I, I found one this morning that got posted. It got posted, posted yesterday, and it was about what did what? Why do we drink coffee in the morning? What did people used to drink in the morning? You ever wondered that? You ever thought what are people drinking? Why do we drink coffee in the morning? Why aren't we drinking? Well, I guess a lot of people drink in the afternoon because I mean, let's look at the cult of Starbucks, folks. Uh, true story. Uh, I was on a ship not too long ago, a cruise ship, and I'm amazed because, you know, you can get coffee anywhere on the ship. It's wonderful. It's fantastic. It's delicious. I loved it. But there's a Starbucks store on the ship, and so people can get free coffee, any kind. They can get mixed drinks. They can get alcohol in it, whatever they want. But they were lined up at Starbucks still paying 8 nine, ten $9, $10 for a cup of coffee like the cult that they are. I'm convinced that it's some kind of bizarre belief system that you must go to Starbucks. <laughs> I mean, maybe maybe the logo kind of gives it away. You ever looked at the Starbucks logo? It looks like something that would be at the front of a church or some kind of odd church. Martin Backer, 22, student at the Norwegian University of Life Sciences. He drinks coffee every morning. Coffee is good. I get energized, he says, to Science Norway. This is Science Norway. So why would you care? Because the folks up in Norway aren't unlike us in many ways. Coffee is good. I don't drink coffee for breakfast, but I make two cups of coffee that I take with me to school. I drink the coffee. There's straight away his habits are typical the first cup of coffee in the morning is the most important for most folks According to a survey conducted by the coffee industry 74% of folks over the age of 18 drink coffee every day This particular guy doesn't drink more than two cups. It's too expensive to buy coffee in a canteen Not so typical martin drinks less than most norwegians who are kind of like their counterparts in the u.s The average consumption is five and a half cups every day Now, that's some serious coffee flipping drinking right there. Five and a half cups a day. Now, my dad, my father, before his untimely passing, was at about 10 to 15 cups a day. He loved coffee. Morning, noon, and night, he could drink coffee and sleep like a baby. Loved it. But uh, Norwegians drink coffee without milk. Most common way, women and young people more often have milk in their coffee. I think that also probably holds for the U.S., Coffee beans grow on trees in countries with hot humid weather. In other words, they can't grow in Norway. It came to Norway about 300 years ago. It came to this country not too far away from that point in time. Doctors, priests, historians, and others traveled around Norway in the old days. They wrote letters and books about the tradition and eating habits they saw. In the 18th century, coffee beans and coffee drinking began to appear in stories from everyday life. The rich started to drink coffee, just like they did in this country most often in the morning, then the social then other folks joined in, drinking coffee spread from rich families in the city to everyone in the city. Beginning in the 1800s, however, more and more shiploads of coffee beans came to Norway and everywhere else. That means more and more people drank coffee. It was really kind of religious. But what did people used to drink? What did they drink before coffee arrived? So it has a short history. Beer is what folks in Europe drank. 1,000 years ago, there was even a law that required all farmers to brew beer. In the Viking Age, beer would have been the most common drink. In the morning, they drank warm beer. beer They called it beer cheese, which is a mixture of beer and milk. They even gave it to their kids. Can you imagine? Hey, go over here, get to the table, put some beer in that milk, or put your milk in your beer. I don't know. It's kind of a Reese's Cup thing. Eventually, people began to distill spirits, which they liked to drink with their meals. 200 years ago, it was not uncommon to have a morning shot for breakfast. Eventually, politicians, medical professions, uh, professionals got a little concerned. Everybody getting drunk on beer and liquor first thing in the morning. Not good for society, <laughs> you can think of. They could injure themselves, and it affected their health. The authorities put taxes on alcohol, and for a period it was completely banned. Coffee, on the other hand, could be consumed morning, noon, and night. Many researchers have looked into the question of whether coffee is healthy or unhealthy. Often their results don't agree, perhaps because they measure different things. Some have investigated whether there are harmful substances in coffee. Others have checked the effect coffee has on different parts of the body. The recommendation is that people consume no more than three to four cups a day. If you drink too much coffee, you can get heart palpitations. And you can get a coffee headache if you don't get it. But anyway, isn't it amazing? Think about that for a minute. That at a certain point in time, bringing the kids to the table putting some beer in the milk, and sending them on their way. Imagine if we were doing that today. No, 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 no. We don't do that. We wouldn't dare do that. Instead, we give them Ritalin and every matter of medication. I'm astounded when I used to volunteer read in schools at the 10 o'clock. So I would volunteer read, and at 10 o'clock, this was the third grade class, a bell would ring, and the nurse would come in the door, and 30% of the kids in that classroom would take some form of medication. 30%. One in three kids. And the kids that weren't kind of felt left out. Like, hey, why don't I get my little special white cup? Why didn't the nurse come see me and give me a little something-something? So these same kids that we train to take drugs from the time they are, like, you know, able to see the potty clearly, until they're 15 or 16, they're taking and popping pills. And then we say, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't take these Don't mix pills. They've been, We've trained them to take pills for decades. And now we want them not to uh, pop pills anymore and do illicit drugs. Well, we've trained them to do it. So, if you wonder, I, you know, there is there is no free lunch. There isn't an action that doesn't have a consequence. And whether it's physics or your real life, your actions have consequences, and and your kids' actions have consequences on them. So, I don't know how we get out of that. We live in a wonderful age of miracles. A gentleman that called earlier, we have the ability to manage pain in a way that we've never been able to do before. Unfortunately, it gets mired up and mixed up, and. and and it gets mixed up with what's coming across the southern border and is being thrown into into kids all over the country and and causing numerous deaths. But uh, it's a shame because some people need it. It's different when you need it, and um, it's just different and sad. So that being said, you know, can you imagine? um, And by the way, the effect of, of caffeine usually lasts about five hours. It can last for as long as 10 to 15 hours. So if you wonder why you have that cup of coffee at night and I fall right asleep, but then you're wide awake at two or three in the morning, now you know. So after a certain period, probably not a good idea to drink some coffee. Uh, and it does. I, now, there's a great body of evidence to suggest that the, the 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 Renaissance period was really due in part because we went from being an alcohol-based society to a coffee and tea-based society between the East India Tea Company and the, and the coffee pouring into europe through that time that all of a sudden we came from a depression state from the dark ages where we were drinking beer and wine morning noon and night to a period of time where we're drinking coffee so we went from a depressant to a stimulant and all of a sudden people are wired and wide awake and ready to be creative it matches up the time frame matches up the lines match up so it's entirely possible and that's what's going on now. Now we're just a mixture of it, right? We use both. We make it through the mornings and then we make it through the evenings. <laughs> Chad Adams here. Sitting in for Pete Counter. Pleasure and honor here, at WBT, five seven zero eleven ten. 704 570 1110. If you want to get into on the conversation here at News Talk 1110 993 WBT, as we head toward the top of the third hour and uh moving on from there to the next day to the next day, now a little bit of I don't know how humorous this is going to be. It's amazing, I think, in some ways, we've lost our sense of humor and and we we love to replace that with righteous indignation. I was telling someone the other day, you know, you you certainly uh, have a right to be protected from harm, and and that's something that you have. But you don't have the right to be protected from being offended. I'm sorry they're not the same. You get offended. Sorry, it happens. But this is it, – when it's happening now, there's, there's this heightened sense of awareness about what's going on with our media platforms. And so they've dished out an awful lot the past couple of years, and now it's starting to blow back on them a little bit. And, and Google finds itself in a very, very awkward place. As of the first hour of this show, if you entered the word Jew on a Google search, it, it returned something quite astonishing. A search for the word Jew on Google Tuesday, today, temporarily had, uh, had the engine telling users that that word is an offensive verb. Uh, the top definition that appeared in the search results up until 1 p.m. described the word Jew as to bargain with someone in a miserly or petty way, with the origin being in reference to old stereotypes associating Jewish people with trading and money lending. Farther down was the noun definition of Jew, which to Google described as a member of the people and cultural community whose traditional religion is Judaism and who trace their origins through the Hebrew people. Uh, back to Abraham, but it was there. You can. They got a screen capture of it. When asked by Fox News Digital about the matter, Google flagged the tweet by Danny Sullivan, its public liaison for Search, that's with a capital S, uh, giving expl- explanation. Our apologies, Google. licensed. This, this convoluted. I don't even know if you can understand this. I don't. It's no. It's nothing against you who are listening. It's just the definition that was given. We only display offensive de- here it is Google licenses definitions from third party dictionary experts did you know that we only display offensive definitions by default if they are the main meaning of a term as this is not the case here we have blocked this and passed along feedback to the partner for further review in other words we didn't do it Nobody saw us do it. We didn't do it. We just did. We put it out there, but it wasn't us. It was someone else. We're going to tell them that they screwed up, but I know it was on our platform. In a page on Google's support website, it says, quote, dictionary boxes show definitions from third-party expert sources and might include relevant images, pronunciations, translations, and other uh, snore. Under a section that reads, where info in dictionary boxes comes from. (laughs) Google says it doesn't create, write, or modify definitions, and the dictionary results don't reflect the opinions of Google. Then they go on to say we license definitions which include examples, similar and opposite words, and origins from third-party experts. They they're just they falling over themselves time and again. Our partners label these terms as vulgar, derogatory, or otherwise offensive to provide context. We only display an offensive definition by default when it's the main meaning of the term. So in there, the main meaning of the term was labeled offensive. Around 1 p.m. it changed. When one enters Jew into the Google search engine, a grotesque anti-Semitic trope comes up. This is unacceptable, wrote Stop Anti-Semitism, which describes itself as the leading nonpartisan American-based organization fighting it. A lot of people couldn't believe it, so they started Googling it. So here's the ironic part of this. So as that happened, more and more people saying, hey, you're not going to believe this. Go, Go enter the word Jew in Google and see what comes up. So more and more people did it. So it went from, you know, Okay, maybe someone screwed up to it got reinforced because so many people were looking at the bad term that they reinforced the bad definition, (laughs) which made it the top definition that people could find. Such is the world we live in now where, you know, we are the United States of the offended. We're looking for reasons to get offended. That one is just an egregious one on Google. But I love how their first response is, it wasn't us, it wasn't us, it was someone else. It's a third party. We didn't come up with that definition. However, if you wrote something about COVID, they would instantly flag you. (laughs) They would flag you. If you put something that was disagreeing with the conventional wisdom on COVID, it wasn't necessarily, if yours was factual and theirs wasn't, it would have been flagged. Could have been flagged. Might have been flagged. Such is the nature of what happens in social media today. Now, the other big story, especially for the political lefties out there, and it is rather bizarre, According to the New York Times, so this is a, uh, a guy named George Santos. He won; He's a Republican that won a seat in New York. A Republican from New York recently elected to Congress. It, it says he's truly a self-made man that he apparently made up a biography to run for office. It appears that almost nothing he said about himself during his campaign was true. On Thursday, the New York Attorney General Letitia James, yes, that Letitia James has been going after Trump, she hates Republicans, uh, announced that her office is looking into a number of issues regarding Santos and his candidacy, but perhaps the most alarming thought is that such an apparent fraud was able to win a congressional seat because local newsrooms have either been shut down entirely or decimated by consolidation and layoffs. So they're blaming it on the news stations, but you have to ask, why are the news stations having consolidations and layoffs? And it may have to do with the way they've covered things. For a long time, he was elected in November to represent New York's third congressional district, located uh, primarily on Long Island. But he didn't work where he claimed he had worked. He didn't go to school where he claimed he went to school, uh, and he reportedly confessed to committing fraud in Brazil. But those charges remain unadjudicated because he left the country. Santos's attorney blasted the New York Times for its story about. His client, but he didn't dispute any of the details the newspaper reported. Santos himself tweeted Thursday, "I have my story to tell, and it will be told next week. So that will be a story that folks will want to cover, want to see." When he ran unsuccessfully in 2020, he reported having no assets and income. When 2022, when he ran, he said he had somewhere between two and a half and eleven million dollars, of which he loaned seven hundred thousand dollars to himself. So he went from nothing to a multimillionaire or a possible multimillionaire in less than two years. But we don't really know how. So I'm sure we're going to find out. And because he's a Republican, we're going to find out real fast. As always, folks, hope you have a fantastic day. We are going to uh, wish you well. And I'll be back bright and early tomorrow here on the Pete Callender Show. Chad Adams signing off for WBT today. Have a great one, folks.